Hello, this is Todd O'Brien, your host, and welcome to Evolve the Entrepreneur Mindset. Hi, my name is Stuart Kime. My superpower is knowing what people are good at right when I first meet them. And today, how I'm feeling about being an entrepreneur is thankful. Today, I'm excited about my guest because this is a true techie serial entrepreneur. You don't run into these very often. He has taught himself how to code at age 20. He was hacking computer games like Quake and Command. At the age of 35, he had invented and architected 10 software systems and went from zero to generate over $2 billion in cumulative gross revenue. In 2012, he was named the Chief Information Officer of the Year in Florida, and he's properly retired to become an angel investor. He loves to travel. He finds himself all around the world with his wife and their five children and is based out of Austin, Texas, where he is now working on his latest passion project called HOP, connecting real people based on proximity like residents in condos or luxury apartments and giving them a unique platform to interact and grow as a community. Please welcome Stuart Kahn. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to speak with you today. We had a little time to chat before this and just have some really interesting, unique experiences. And I want to dive into some of those today. I want to really hone in on this mindset behind an entrepreneur. It's what the podcast is about. And I wonder from your take, how important is it to have the right mindset from the very beginning? Well, I think the mindset is the only thing that gets you all the way to the finish line. So if you look at how long most companies go before their their exits, whatever their exit means, I call it the seven-year overnight success, but you don't even get acquired until maybe four to five years past that. So Uber is, I don't know, 12 years old, Airbnb is maybe you know, 14 or something like that. Yeah. So you have these really, really long times. And the mindset, to me, it comes down to you have to really love the mission that you've created because the mission, you know, products change, product market fit changes, talent changes. You're going to have new executive teams. Everything changes, new people on the cap table, customers come and go. But the only thing that doesn't change that whole time is the mission of the company. So if you don't love that mission, if you don't feel like the world should change in that way, then you're going to be miserable. It's, it's an amazing point. I mean, if you think about so many entrepreneurs who get into this time in their career, if you want to say that, or mm -hmm. the time in that startup, you were probably there. You did 10 startups. You had to have been there. I know I was there in these times where you just literally wanted to lay it all on the ground and walk away and move away or yeah. get away from it. Yeah. How do you shift that mindset when you're feeling that way? Because a lot of entrepreneurs are in the bad place right now. How do they shift the mindset? Well, I think it comes... In some ways, without being hokey, it's like faith, right? And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. Let's say that, you know, at the corner near my house, I want to open an ice cream store. Okay. okay. And there's not an ice cream store there today. That means that every human that ever lived on this planet times all the money invested in every place, they all got together and decided that there should not be an ice cream store <laughs> on that corner. Right. So for me to go out and create that business, I have to fundamentally disagree with every human who ever lived. So that's what an entrepreneur has to be willing to do. And you have to be willing to spend your money, your friend's money and other people's money to achieve it. Yeah. 
Tell me about the word curiosity. I was hearing some stories from you, but just think about the word curiosity. I think this is the perfect word for you. Like how has this played out over time in your journey? I think curiosity is probably another superpower because it will compel you to turn over every rock to see what's underneath. Uh, An example is I had had this success earlier in my life than I expected, and I didn't know what new goals I should create for myself because I'd achieved the other ones. So I decided that like a true programmer, I was curious about how I should live the second half of my life. So I took my wife and we have five kids together and we leased our house to a guy, our cars to our friends. And we lived um, one whole year with one carry on and one backpack each in 77 different environments that were as different and weird as possible. So like downtown Hong Kong and a farm in Norway. Um, We lived on a boat in Greece and like three weeks in an RV in New Zealand. I forget who said this, but there's like, there's a great quote that's like, I know who I am when I see what I do. Yeah. Right. So I chose to keep the temperature every day at 20 C or 70 Fahrenheit that way my mood wouldn't be affected by the weather. <laughs> so these are the places you actually chose. <laughs> and so be. we okay. literally drove across 35 countries trying to answer that question. <laughs> That's fantastic. And the family all signed up for this. Yeah, they signed up for it. My wife, she's surprisingly not adventurous, but she's as curious as me. So it goes back to this like sort of curiosity thing that it will lead you to do. It'll lead you to be braver than you imagine yourself to be. And it will sustain you. It's, I think, one of the secrets to endurance or resilience, which is another thing that you need, yeah. you know, to, I, I didn't know how to, how to create struggle for my kids because we're losing, you know, resilience every day in America. Yeah. And so I knew that if you, if you only have five shirts and two pairs of shoes and you're trying to order dinner in the menus in Croatian or whatever, you you're going to be resilient. Yeah. You're going to figure it out. <laughs> I want to ask you to link this back to your time as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You probably learned a ton and your family learned a ton through this experience. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk more about that, but okay. let's pause for a minute and let's think about the resilience and what you learned through that with your family, how much of that had you already applied early on in your entrepreneurial life? And what were some of the differences that you saw between those two very drastic situations where you're with your family versus with a few founders trying to get something off the ground? Draw that dichotomy for me so I can see. Well, it's very, very hard in my family. I'm trying to manufacture struggle for them okay? because there is going to be a time in their life where they're going to have to be autonomous and life is going to bring the rain, whether you want it or not. Right. Um, when you have founders is great because our partners it's, it's because usually both people aren't down at the same time. Like, Oh, yeah. we just can't get the product right. Yeah. And, or you have this, Oh, no one is buying or we're out of money or, or the, an important guy just left. There's, yeah. there's no shortage of, pitfalls. But one of the ways you can manage that in a business is funnels, right? Like you keep a talent funnel, a capital funnel, a sales funnel, and an engagement funnel sort of loaded all the time. And the more systematic you are at loading those funnels, it'll sort of keep the bumps a little smoother. Hmm. When you're traveling, I chose to 
mostly to stay in very developed countries. And honestly, the internet, a little bit of what I wanted to learn was how the internet was affecting the rest of the world or really mobile specifically. And it is everywhere. You know, there is fast broadband in every country. Um, the internet works amazingly. And even if they don't have Yelp in that country, they have some kind of equivalent. So like knowing where to eat, where to go, what to visit, who to talk to, where to stay. The world is very, very liquid right now. It's a great story. I'm sure you guys had a wonderful time. Then the age of your kids, uh, what, are, yeah. what are their ages when you did this? When we left, the oldest was 13 and the youngest was six. So the oldest wasn't in high school yet and the baby could pull her own bag. Okay. And five kids. <laughs> five so kids. Quite yeah. a stair step. Yeah. 13, 11, 9, 8, and 6 when we left. Did you guys document this? Along the way, is it like a blog series or something? Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm super into photography. Okay. So I, I take a lot of photos and I write about what it's like to do those things. Yeah. And so I post all that on Instagram. Cool. Hello there. It is Todd and Maddie. Hi. What are we talking about today? Talking about Shaboom Audio. This is a cool place. This is where we recorded a couple of our episodes. Yes, this is a very cool place. We have been, we ate breakfast tacos. It's incredible. It's in a local Austin-based studio, a historic one called Tequila Mockingbird. And Shaboom is an amazing uh, place where they record pieces of audio that did not work well in the movie filming. Yes, that is right. And if you go to their website, you might actually think you accidentally went to imdb.com because there are so many movie titles there, all of which Shaboom Audio has worked on. So if you need a great local studio with an awesome set of engineers, check out shaboomaudio.com. What keeps you coming back to found companies? I mean, there's there's serial entrepreneurs and there's serial entrepreneurs, <laughs> like serious serial entrepreneurs. Ten yeah. companies, I mean, and probably thousands of ideas in your notebook. Yeah. What keeps bringing you back? Well, I usually don't like something about the world, yeah. right? So like in the case of Hop, we wanted to create a social network with the phones around you where the North Star metric was in real life connection with other humans. Yeah. And the main reason was because we didn't like Facebook's and all the companies they've acquired solution of like time and app. Yeah. So putting a screen between our faces and having 4,000 PhDs that, <laughs> that are all psychologists working on how to keep me in there longer. So I guess when I don't like something about it, I see opportunity in 2008. 12 when we started talking about booking a bet against facebook they were the most awesome company on the planet right <laughs> but if you look at sine waves or investing cycles there's like a 15 year timeline roughly when something new gets invented there's thousands of people trying to figure it out um, the best ones rise up they get capital they acquire all the little guys that they're scared of and and in 15 years it's sort of mature at least in SaaS. right it's a lot more complicated when you have atoms that you're dealing with right. but when it's electrons, it can happen really quickly. Yeah. So I, we thought if we waited, you know, four or five more years to start it, then our seven year overnight success would be when they were, um, when the VCs have been buying DAUs and time and app for a decade. Yeah. But that's, you know, where I invest my time. The other things I'm, where I'm investing money these days is in trust. Mm. Like who, what company can I trust or privacy? 
right? So what, what, when I was really, really into location data, 10, which was way before yeah. anybody was cared about it, right? <laughs> yeah, I actually tried, before they were doing them on the mobile phone, I tried to get a guy to build a box that I could put in a car. <laughs> because the I was like this, you know, my car had a GPS thing on it. Like it was, it was like a laser jammer because it was a very right. fast car or whatever. <laughs> but I was like that, this thing knows where I eat, where I go out to eat. Cause yeah. it knows where I'm parked. And I was trying to figure out how do I get, make a box that, you know, could know where we are and then say, Hey, get me deals, be my agent and go find me offers to go to better places. It was so ahead of its time, man. I know like, but, <laughs> you oh. missed, you missed it by five years. I think uh, I've gotten initially. better at being patient, but not much better. (laughs) (laughs) One more question about your family running so many companies. Mm -hmm. You probably have a very systematic way of you doing it because of the things that you've learned over Mm -hmm. time. And I'm sure you know initially what to do. Your family, how similar do you operate in your family like you do in a startup? That's a great question. I, I, it goes both ways. It's, it's, it's actually reflexive. So there's, there's plenty of best practices, you know, Harvard business review has tons of them. I read the, the Covey Institute has great ones. Yeah. So I've tried, or I have taken all of those best practices, like managing to a P and L having a 13 month rolling budget. We actually use those at our house, even with little children, you would think that you don't want your kids to see how much you spend or how much you make or whatever like that. But children are actually much more sophisticated when they understand why. Why are you doing it that way? They are part of our budgeting and planning. Um, They ask questions about why we spend so much money on golf or tennis, right? (laughs) (laughs) But the reverse works too. And that is there's best practices at home that make home a wonderful place that I think businesses are failing to do. Yeah. So we invest more time and money into floating the river with a couple beers, you know, on a hot day mm-hmm. or just getting together for things. some reason other than just work. Like yeah. one of the things, one of the ways I say it is if all your hours per week are under the most extreme stress of your life, trying to solve these really hard problems while competitors are trying to kill you, right? That's a commercial <laughs> environment. Yeah. Then of course it's like everybody's on the amazing race all the time. Right. You're going to get high stress, high yelling, high frustration environments. So you have to manufacture opportunities for people to be away from the office together for some reason. Yeah. And we encourage people to hang out um, and do things together, not in the office for that same reason. So that you have something deeper because in all the, the, the startups I did, one, they, especially when they're SaaS models, there's only a certain time frame where they're even relevant based on the way that the world is, right? Sure. So you might have 10 to 20 year cycles. But when you look back, all the mem- all the great memories I have are the people. Yeah. So I spend a lot more time trying to hire and we use, we use Enneagrams and a couple other things like yeah. that to, to tune the, the personalities. But that is what you'll remember. That's what everybody remembers yeah. 20 years later. Yeah. It's a fantastic model of kind of running and operating businesses around this experience base. You're right. I think some of the best people you will meet in your life are people you do something really brilliant with. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when the technology is gone, you still have the relationships, which is really interesting to, to see. Creativity mm-hmm. plays a lot in what you do, trying to create things. And yeah. How do you define it personally? And how has that inspired you through your journey? Right. One of the ways that I manufacture creativity at my house, because I can answer that easier than at <laughs> okay. work, is that creativity lies on the other side of boredom. 
Okay. It's like a doorway. Okay. Nobody paints it. Nobody paints a picture for fun when there's Netflix and <laughs> Minecraft or whatever. Yeah. Right. So you have to cr- manufacture boredom. I do that to myself in my own life too. I have to create space and time on my calendar with nothing, nothingness. Like for a while I had to book it on my calendar yeah. and eventually I became where I did it sort of more autonomously. So I didn't say what creativity is, but I did say how I try to create space for it. Creativity, I think at best, the book I would recommend, uh, or two books I'd recommend. One, Gary Klein's Seeing What Others Don't mm. is a is a um, model for how insight works. Yeah, And the other one is Range. Range by David Epstein has some really great examples of, of how and why creativity exists and why some people are more successful with creativity than others. And the short version is that I really like to sort of learn sideways. Mm. Like I like to learn about lots of things that have nothing to do. Like on my master class at home, I'm learning about French pastry cooking. Okay. Um, I some guy called Dead Mouse about how to make electronic music. I don't know. I don't listen to electronic music or ever heard of this guy. But the thing, the way that that experts like uh, Tom Kite is a golfer out here. The way that they talk about their craft is very, is they have way more specificity about what they're doing and why they're doing it that way. Yeah. And so I, I really want to know sort of like everything about how masters think about their thing, and then I just look at the analogies. So in this case, like for Hop, it's really not super complicated. It's a private social media network, yeah. but it's taken to a place that has community problems. They don't know how to make community there. So they're just building more nicer pools on the rooftop and like free baristas. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to make community, but that doesn't connect any two people in the real world that have real problems. Like, can someone help me move a couch right now? Yeah. Right. It's an interesting to hear you talk about how your creative process works and all of this. Creativity also requires some soft skill behind it because you can be really creative and do nothing, mm-hmm. but there's also these soft skills. There's, there's just do it right. Mm-hmm. Or there's like this skill of how do you shape something and how do you right. start? Right. And some people are really creative, but they just can't ever get started. Right. Like some of the most brilliant minds I've ever met have great ideas and they don't get started. How are you motivated to get started? I, that's a great question. I've advised a lot of other entrepreneurs and founders on their first projects what I tell them is like rule number one for startups is that no one's coming to help. Your grandma's not even going to download this thing. No one's going to pay for this thing. No one cares that you're doing it. Nobody is coming. Right. And so if you go into it with that mindset that you're the guy, like if, if you don't have money, you're the guy that has to find it. If you don't have a CTO, you got to go find them. And so the skills to do those things are, very, very similar. You just source them from different places. But it, at the end of the day, you've got to either recruit customers, recruit talent, recruit money, right? Yeah. And But it's about selling. You're going to have to sell a dream. I counted at one time. It's like 1,500 times. Wow. It's how many times I will pitch something between all of those different people groups. Wow. So if I can sum everything up that I've heard you say, it's about creating really good experiences. It's what you're doing currently with Hop, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. And people should check out hop.life. I'll put it also in the comments, but Mm -hmm. people should check that out. But it's around creating these experiences. It's about having the openness with relationships 
and having a creativity and joining hands together to actually make something happen. And it seems like that's been a really good way for you to do this. And it's not just necessarily about meeting the right people and all this sort of stuff, which is important. Mm-hmm. It's all a piece in it, mm-hmm. but it comes from this drive with inside of you and it's even spilled into your family life. And so it's just been really interesting and, and cool to hear your experience. So thanks so much for joining us and taking the time to thank you. Thank you.